Welcome to Team Sports Marketing. We're in Chapter 9, one of my all-time favorite chapters of the Sportscape. I have with us uh, Dr. and Mrs. Wakefield, Robin Wakefield. Welcome, Robin. Hello, everybody. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, you might remember uh, Dr. Wakefield when I first started doing all this research, really when we were at Ole Miss, and I decided to go take tours of ballparks and researched about six SEC stadiums with the help of a lot of athletic directors to find out what each of the elements of the sportscape uh, were. Do you remember that? Yes, kind definitely. Of? I remember you taking the the boys when they were younger. Sure. Yeah, we went down to uh, some of the SEC uh, schools, to Auburn, Kentucky, and some others, and then uh, went and did a field trip and took videotapes uh, of a lot of the old parks. By the way, I'm now on... Uh, ballpark number 30, I only like two to make all 30, uh, two Major League Baseball stadiums. When we add in, I think, maybe eight that I've been to that aren't around any longer. So quite a few venues that I've been uh, with all-time favorites, I'd say Wrigley probably and Fenway, the old ones. And then I'd say now uh, Oracle Field uh, or Park in San Francisco. And in the summer when we went to... The Cardinals in the new Bush Stadium was pretty nice. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Uh, What was really interesting about that place, I think, is that... It kind of had an old-time feel. Yeah, it did. Um, Because a lot of the old parks, in fact, if you visit some of the stadiums in Europe, they're really old. You pretty much step right off the street, right into the stadium. There's not much space between the concourse and the the street and everything else. And so, yeah, it's kind of exciting when you have a big crowd, which it was sold out uh, that game as, as well. Um, but part of that gets into what are the different parts of the sportscape, which is the, the entire built and managed environment and focus on the built part. And what we found is that even when the team may, may be bad, uh, if you have a really nice facility and they manage the venue well, that you might still go back uh, all the same. So let's get into some of the pieces of the sportscape and what makes it so different. Uh, but actually, a little before we do that, uh, one of the newer concepts we talk about in the book is a sports anchor destination that mixes uh, retail, entertainment, and offices. And I just was in San Francisco a couple weeks ago for the new Chase Center uh, arena that has that very thing. There's retail around it. Uh, you can go and do some shopping uh, nearby, although it's not quite as much as some places like in uh, Chicago, uh, nearby the Cubs or the St. Louis Ballpark Village where we visited, although we didn't get to shop. No, any, we didn't we? shop. No. Um, we were also in FC Barcelona, New Camp New, as they're building that out, and they've done the same thing uh, there. And of course, at the Cowboys uh, Star, which is one of the really cool places we've been up there and eaten dinner and yes. been around that venue. So that's the new trend where you don't go just for the game, you go for the entertainment and everything else around it. So. Uh, well, so what are the favorite parts, well, favorite parks that maybe you've been to? And you think about some of the favorite places you've been to. What is it about that place that makes it really good? As we look at the uh, 10 elements of the sportscape, plus uh, throw in perceived crowding that's kind of a production or product of uh, that environment. Uh, Dr. Robin, can you think of any place you really have enjoyed going to? Maybe it's Bush Stadium, but other venues, places that you really like? Remember a AAA park? Um, was it Memphis? Yeah, Memphis Redbirds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I really like that one. No, it is because the seating is all uh, close, so the 
and the seats are comfortable they're easy to get to so ease of access is good uh, plenty of space not too crowded and difficult to get around and get in and, and get out but still you felt like you're part of the what was going on you weren't so far out that, yeah. that you were far yeah. out yeah well part of that's the size of the of minor league ballparks but even that uh, the newer parks and newer stadiums newer venues are all getting, as we say, cozier, and they're getting smaller. For instance, Baylor's new arena will be opening the next couple of years. It is going to seat, I think they say, just over 7,000, whereas our current arena is 10,500, which we rarely uh, sell out uh, for men's basketball and occasionally on women's basketball. But most of the time, you know, there's five or 6,000 in attendance, and wouldn't it be better to have the place basically crammed every game, you know, versus, you know, kind of not that crowded uh, it's just a perception thing. Yeah, it's for sure. Perception. Well, and that's the whole thing about the sportscape is that it's uh, perceived, and you can. Uh, some people will go to a place and like it better or worse. Although we tend to recognize that, for instance, the new Chase Center in uh, San Francisco is definitely very attractive and it's interesting. And um, but I'd say that it is somewhat in the eye of the beholder. Well, let's get into that first element, which is parking access. I don't know if you can think of any place where you've been where the parking has been a problem getting in and out of a venue or a game or something. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Actually, that's what we talked about in the book, some research that said that um, parking was listed 46 times out of 831 respondents on just open-ended, and 45 times is what fans liked least about the game. So, yeah, odds are... In fact, we just finished a study for the uh, Texas Rangers who are building a new park, and I don't really think their parking is all that bad for uh, Globe Life Park. And in fact, it, it shares it pretty much with AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play, but the perceptions rated uh, the parking the worst uh, there, and hopefully it would be a bit better with the new park. But I think that's mainly because, if you think about it, if you have 40,000 people you know, showing up at roughly the same time, no matter what you do, there's likely to be bottlenecks. But some are made worse than others. We do have a few tips, though, to help with that. Some of it's having enough personnel uh, to direct people to go to the right you know, the right places to park and uh, get them out as fast as possible and adding up other routes. And a lot of times the police and others will be around helping that. Uh, one of the ideas that we talk about I, that I like, I've seen some do, and actually Baylor, we've done this some, we just like one thing, but it's to provide shuttle service from a more distant parking lot for free. But the main thing is to have a sponsor. So it's not enough just to throw in and add an extra expense on. Um, so add the free shuttle, but have, and the Cubs do this, and other teams I've seen, have a sponsor for those free rides from further away, and then that frees up the space uh, you know, near the park or near the stadium. Uh, we think about architectural design, that's the next well, it's really probably the most important one aside from the parking that's a, a pain, but on the plus side, you know, the exterior appearance and architectural design, uh, we talked about in the book, Populous, uh, formerly HOK. I think Populous is actually the designer of our new arena. I think it's who we've set up um, here at Baylor. They're one of the more popular ones. Um, one of the complaints you often hear is that, um, you know, we're requiring or that teams will leave if you don't build us a new place. But that's pretty much how it is in, uh, if you will, in real life, right? You keep a place that's the same for the last 20, 30 years, and no one ever updates it, and it gets uh, you know, run down and crowded. Uh, we tend to renovate or else move. So it's the same thing in ballparks and, and stadiums. 
Uh, Robin, can you think of any place you've seen? In fact, I can scroll through. And by the way, on Facebook, I've got a web page. It's visited by almost nobody, but uh, I enjoy it. Called Ballparks Visited, and I post pictures of, say, the Chase Center, or I've uh, got one from Detroit at Comerica Park, which I like quite a bit uh, from this last summer. I've got a few others that, I, in fact, can go in there and see. I've got Oakland A's uh, Coliseum, which is one of the all-time worst. Uh, really, actually, I think it is the worst. Uh, you recall, Robin, we went to Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati uh, a few years oh, yeah, ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that has a fairly interesting uh, architectural design. Uh, and also, I really like the concourse. It's really wide spaces in the concourse. Uh, and the interior decor design that they put up with... Uh, lots of history of the of the team. Do you remember? Yes, that I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the food was pretty good. Um, there they had smokehouse. Uh, you know, some barbecue that was good. Uh, one of the things they did to make fans comfortable, and I've seen this in a few places, but uh, basically have mi- yeah mm-hmm. mi- misting, uh, almost like a shower as you walk under it when you're out in the heat. Which does make me think of the AAA park in Memphis, where they have actual showers out in the. Uh, outfield uh, in the berm that you could sit or whatever you just go out there and uh, totally rinse off in the heat and uh, in Memphis which you really almost need to have something like that in the in the summertime so uh, the interior decor is important that's the color schemes the wall decor the lighting the ambiance uh, that are generated by the interior design that influences how we feel about a place uh, one of the things I think that's often overlooked is the layout and the wayfinding signage. I mean, layout's the visibility. So, for instance, at Minute Maid Park and the newer, most all newer parks, whenever you're going to concessions or even at least to the restroom, uh, but not in the restroom, you can see the field and view from when you're ordering and everything else so you don't miss anything. So that's better. But the other part, though, that's important is the wayfinding signage. In fact, uh, when I was in San Francisco and they have at the new... Uh, facility, a wayfinding signage, and they had this problem, just like I've seen elsewhere, and I'll show it to you, uh, Dr. Wakefield, uh, where, I mean, they had great food uh, choices there, and what I do like, uh, that's the wrong one, uh, where they have um, local food favorites, but in the um, in the Chase Center, they have a you are here sign that uh, isn't really where you are. So you're facing the wrong direction, <laughs> right? So everything is to the to your right when you're facing it, uh, but that's not due north. And so when it says you are here, and then you, you're trying to make sense out of it, it's not facing the same direction that the map is. Uh, I've seen a lot of them like that in parks and zoos and other things where the you are here sign actually is about as confusing as just looking around yourself. So what's better is that you can visualize the whole arena or the stadium it's a problem in arenas, right, because it's usually a, a big wall, and so you can't really much see through. But some of the better design ones um, have more space so you can see through to the court and kind of find your way as you go go around. Uh, one of the things I really like at some of the parks, and you have this at Bush Stadium. I noticed this at the new Bush. Had some at the old Bush, but uh, you can use wayfinding markers, you know, landmarks, sculptures, displays, you know, meet me at that, you know, whatever statue uh, you know, Willie Mays out in San Francisco, meet me at the Willie Mays statue. Um, and that helps. The other thing is changing the colors of the walls and sections so that when you're going around, say a Coliseum, 
that's you know, maybe quite a ways around that the colors of the sections change. That way you can uh, wayfind much easier than if everything is just a solid you know, concrete color. Uh, one of the things I think that's really interesting is on the crowding and it's perceived crowding. So like this sportscape is perceived. Uh, there's one thing, it's the amount of space that's available given the number of people. And that's, um, uh, you know, kind of standard. We, we, we could measure that. But your perception of that's different. It's kind of like the research uh, that I did on shopping that's a little different. But we looked at who gets excited when you see a crowded mall. Females. Yeah, females tend to. Now, by the way, it's not gender. Almost like everything else, it's not so much that gender influences the decision or the perception. It's the tendency that females, in this case, uh, tend to be more social shoppers. So when they see a crowd and they know how to manage and navigate their way through a crowded shopping center, then they're pretty excited. And you might argue, and I've not researched this so much, but you would argue in that same logic, you'd argue that males being much more familiar with finding their way around a crowded ballpark would be more excited and not distressed by a huge crowd at a game, whereas maybe in that case females would be because they're not as um, you know used to navigating that kind of space. But nonetheless... It has more to do with whether you are more of a social shopper, social engager, uh, you know, when you go into in, a venue uh, or not. Uh, but clearly the layout and the space itself has a lot to do with it. So actually at Bush Stadium, that concourse was crowded. I mean, it was relatively narrow for the size of a, the sellout crowd, which they often do. They uh, think they're second in the league, maybe leading the league in attendance. At any rate, 36,000, I think, or better. I think more than that, mm. closer to forty. Uh, for a stadium that seats just over 40-some uh, thousand. But what you're seeing, again, more is is uh, stadiums that are smaller with not as many seats, and then other places, I think like the American Airlines Center, even though it's a little bit older now, uh, as we talk about uh, in the book, you know, they accommodate for uh, the size of the crowds with having a whole lot of extra space for uh, restrooms. And I always thought it was interesting, the fact that there are way more restroom uh, availability for women at the American Airlines Center than there is for men. Hmm. Wonder why that is. <laughs> <That's> pretty <laughs> you, obvious. Well, you think more women go to games than men? I don't think so. Do you want to make women happy? Yeah, I guess that's probably it. I always say that if if women could just go to the restroom on their own without saying, "Hey, somebody, uh, anybody else want to go," that that would alleviate the problem. Uh, so at any rate. Crowding is kind of a two-edged sword in sports and really uh, any retailing. Uh, too small of a crowd, and that tells you this it's boring. Too big of a crowd, and it's like Yogi Berra uh, said, no one goes here anymore, it's too crowded. And so it uh, you makes you feel like you want to leave. One of the next elements that we look at, and all these, by the way, play a significant role. When I say significant, I mean statistically significant role in influencing people's perception about a place, which is why we include them all. So the next one is seat comfort, equipment quality, scoreboards, and sound systems. You know, we've been up to AT&T Stadium. You remember that scoreboard? Oh, yeah. Huge. In fact, I heard somebody in class the other day saying that it's so huge, they don't like it because they find themselves never watching... Watching the field. Yeah, yeah. You you don't watch the field. You look up at the... Well, why not? Because you can see everything much more clearly up there. Mm -hmm. I say it's so good, and I think they've actually started doing this some. Uh, Wouldn't it be great to see, like, a Star Wars... Uh, movie on that screen. I'd love to go uh, just to watch a, a you know an action movie on that screen. It's it's huge. Um, so that influences again our perception of the place. I think what's worse is when 
facilities don't uh, have a maintenance checklist and make sure that everything's fixed before you go in and they put up little signs that say, you know, uh, sorry, out of order. Um, you know, that obviously is not excused by the fans and our maintenance checklist, things that ought to be checked for any game and double check. I mean, you don't want to have the lights go out in the middle of the Super Bowl, for instance. Uh, that happened. Hmm. Yeah, about that was seven or eight years ago, I believe. And then the backup went out. Hmm. And I so it delayed the Super Bowl for, I can't remember, 30, like 30 more minutes um, before they finally got it fixed. And, of course, you don't say, oh, well, too bad the lights went out during the Super Bowl. No, you say, I cannot believe they let the lights go out in the Super Bowl and they didn't have a backup that worked uh, or the backup to the backup, given that it was kind of an important game. Although I guess memorable, although I can't tell you who played uh, without looking it up. So we checked through the seats, the video displays, electronic signs and sponsor boards. I and mean, one of the things that happens at our Baylor Arena often enough is, I mean, last few years, even though they're relatively new boards, uh, just periodically all of the scoreboards on the ends will just go blank. And so all the stats and so on that you normally see, and if you're a sports fan, all you care about as you're going through the game, aside from the game, are the ongoing stats, and then they just will blink out. And I can only presume somebody didn't double-check something beforehand. So you check those. Um, if you have retractable roofs, which some do, like Miller Park's roof leaked in a downpour, um, or just in general check the roof. Uh, three or four years ago at the AT&T, center in San Antonio, they had recurring leaking problems whenever it rained. Uh, some season ticket holders were getting dripped on whenever it rained, which generally is not a benefit uh, you know, when you have those good lower bowl seats. Um, check the light fixtures, stadium and arena lights, the glass panels and the windows, making sure they're uh, clean and in good order. You know, railings and the, uh, also the seats themselves, they aren't broken, which occasionally I've seen that where There'll be like one seat that continues to remain broken. Uh, I would assume it's no one's, you know, reserve seat. Yeah, you got fifty thousand good seats, and you, there's one broken seat. What are you going to think about? There's one. Yeah, you keep a looking at that. Yeah, you know, why hadn't it fixed? And so it's strange. Um, well, so one of the things that we talk about the purpose of scoreboards and sound systems is to entertain, right, um, and to inform fans. So what do you want? Or a complete team and player stats? It's one thing I wish that we did at our games more. We have some stats, but not many compared to at the a lot of NFL games and when I was at the Warriors game and when I've been at the Mavs game, they have running stats for every single player. I mean, their whole uh, stat line for every player is on the end scoreboards. Hmm. And so I'd much rather look at that than having myself, like, for instance, if you're, a, again, most sports fans want to keep up with stats, so that's forced you to look at your phone. And then what if your, the Wi-Fi isn't going very well and that ticks you off? So having complete team and player stats on the scoreboards uh, is a good idea. Obviously, motion-driven entertainment. We actually do pretty well, I think, on our scoreboards at our Baylor games, uh, doing well with uh, you know the hype songs and uh, the other uh, entertainment. But again, the idea that it's emotion-driven in addition to the stats and information. And then make sure that our replays are available. I think most everywhere I've been recently, they do a pretty good job on uh, showing the replays of exciting ones. And when they can and they're able to play replay the uh, ones when, you know, there's a controversy. Of course, everybody goes nuts. Uh, one of the things I don't know that very many students are aware of, uh, perhaps before maybe reading this book, um, is that every team, professional team, and college teams do this for the most part, not quite as much detail perhaps, uh, but teams like the Mavericks, for instance, I've been there a lot of times and I've seen their entire event script that they have that goes minute by minute for 90 minutes before the game through every bit of the game and then until after the game. 
so that, of course, things change. So you have somebody uh, up running the whole show that's sitting up high watching. And so whenever uh, there's a dead ball and maybe there wasn't uh, enough, if you will, dead balls in the last quarter, then they're saying, hey, quick, get on the, um, you know, the dance team or get, you know, that next, uh, you know, sponsorship activation going on the floor. So somebody manages that, but they've got it all scheduled throughout the whole game so they know what's going to happen. Uh, and then you have somebody kind of calling the plays, if you will. So it's really timing it all out and playing it all out for 270 minutes plus of entertainment if you think about it uh, that way. It makes me think of one of the things that we saw in research that uh, Ole Miss and some others did just this last year, and then we're trying to copy some of it uh, as we think through our game uh, operations. They did research and found, surprisingly not, uh, that people aren't that excited about all the on-field recognitions of here's our sponsor and this person we have no idea who is, and let's now all uh, give them applause for whatever it is that we're honoring them for. And so they actually took more of those off the field uh, at their games and off the court, and we started doing some of the similar things. You can find other ways to recognize people besides um, trying to get everyone to pay attention on the field to something that's not football or not basketball-related. Uh, so one of the last ones of that's more of a managed aspect of the arena uh, or the stadium is cleanliness. And, you know, it's it's much like maintaining the seats and the equipment, but uh, you can actually get the fans to help. And you might remember this from back in Memphis, one of the places I saw did a really good job of it. They had, um, um, first of all, regularly their workers would come through and collect the trash going down the uh, aisles. And then they'd ask the fans to, again, periodically, if you had any trash, pass it down while they're coming down to kind of help them own the place to keep it clean. Uh, I thought that was, um, I guess, being more proactive about it. So you can inform the fans they need to keep their stadium, make them own it. You know, it's your stadium. You know, keep your stadium clean. Making sure you have ample, uh, you know, garbage disposal units. In other words, trash cans all over the place. I think around here, most of the ones at our stadium and arenas, uh, it's pretty good, particularly at the football stadium. Maybe not quite so much at the basketball. And then, you know, keeping it clean throughout the event. You know, again, one of the things that whenever you see something that's broken, you know, out of order, and then it's that way for two or three weeks, you know, in like, say, a bathroom stall or something else, uh, and when it's not clean, if it's not done, then what fans assume is that management lacks the skills and attention to detail, which is not good. They don't really care about the fans' needs, also not good. Or they don't have enough money to pay janitorial staff to actually keep the place clean. So... Nothing happens good when those things go undone, and just because you have an excuse doesn't make it acceptable. Uh, last part underneath, uh, you know, sportscape, and this is not so much the sportscape, but it has to do with more with service management, uh, is uh, some keys to, you know, making uh, the sporting event exciting. And key number one is that food service is not just hot dogs, popcorn, and beer, which I think probably most of us get, um, but the better arenas, and it was true with the Warriors, uh, their food was uh, had wide selection of healthy, higher end uh, food options. I don't mean by price, but I mean better food. Quality. And, yeah, quality food. Or natural. Yeah, and think about who's going to the arena anyway. If you're paying the kind of money going to a Warriors game or, frankly, any season ticket holder that's attending any major league or um, NCAA major college ball, their income levels tend to be, uh, a lot of them, at the 100 k or better. Well, they can afford more than you know, hot dogs and hamburgers, and if they're there very often, you know, they don't want just uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. One of my favorites, and I was actually give you the menu in the book, but 
uh, in City Field. They have a lot of good choices, uh, and I don't mind actually waiting to eat there uh, when I go to City Field. Um, the food, I'll say, at the Warriors um, arena was good, although I was in the VIP section, but still, and actually got to have good VIP sections. One of the things, though, that I think teams can do uh, to really separate that out is the key number two is to have a signature food item. So you'll recall, actually, in Memphis, they had rendezvous uh, barbecue nachos that uh, were awesome, and we'd wait to actually eat on purpose until uh, we got to the park. Uh, you know, Fenway Park, you get clam chowder, and again, you got clam chowder lots of places in Boston, but the point is it fits uh, to also have it at the at the park. Uh, you could also have some partnerships with the local um, uh, venues, um, excuse me, local uh, restaurateurs, like Wolfgang Puck at Dodger Stadium and a few of the others. You know, Outback Steakhouse has a mm. deal with PNC Park, for instance, so you could get that uh, when you're there. And who didn't want to have Ben's Chili Bowl? Um, at RFK Stadium. Sorry, I haven't engaged in that one yet. The third key is to have high-tech customer service. We've seen that a lot more where you can order from your seat and uh, have the food delivered or you, know, you can get a fast pass and you can order the food and you can go get it um, at the like a fast checkout line at the concessions as opposed to waiting in line for it. I've seen that a number of places recently. The other thing that you can do, and we're talking about doing this perhaps at our new arena, is having family safe sections, if you will. So customer service that focuses on, on families and makes it to where they don't mind bringing their, their kids in. And, you know, that occasionally happens at games that fans are unruly uh, and who knows, maybe inebriated at some places. So would it be nice to know that you could bring your kids in and it would be safe? Uh, in fact, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, uh, one of the ones I thought of is at the AT&T Center in San Antonio. They have a huge section. I believe it's still sponsored by HEB in a fan fiesta area. So if your kids get restless, bored, whatever, fine, go take them there and play. And the parents can still see the game from that in line. Um, a lot of parks today have those sections where you can, uh, the kids can, you know, do something before, I don't know about necessarily during the game for baseball, um, but I've seen that. Um, all right, well, that's pretty much all we have for chapter nine, the sportscape. Any other parting words, Dr. Wakefield, on your favorite uh, venues? Nope, just just make mom happy, that's all. Yep. And we'd be glad to go. Yep, indeed. And give me some good food with some healthy choices, uh, like at the Warriors, and actually it's sponsored at the Warriors by Kaiser Permanente. By the way, their CEO just died yesterday. Did you see mm, that? No, I didn't. Yeah, 60 years old. Woke up. We didn't wake up this morning, uh, which is sad. So mm. our... Condolences to uh, Kaiser Permanente, uh, who actually is one of the key sponsors for uh, the Warriors and also has a special section for salads and sides and drinks that are uh, healthy. And so that, of course, ties into uh, their brand and um, their sponsorship. So that's all we have, Dr. Wakefield. Farewell right. till next time.